It's great to be here with you this morning. Uh, we are going to continue our conversation from last week. And if you, remember, if you were here last week, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, I said that what I was going to prepare, for, what I was going to present to you wasn't really fancy, but it's meat and potatoes. So I hope you like meat and potatoes because that's what we're going to look at a little bit more this morning. Uh, last week, we really looked at answering the question, and we're going to review just a little bit. So if you weren't here, you'll be caught up with us. We, we really looked at the question is, why do we celebrate the resurrection? Uh, we came, it's Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, so wh- why did we gather? And as we looked at that, we realized that, that really the answer is found in the entirety of Scripture. But Paul lays it out for us in Philippians 2, 5-11, through 11, when he talks about the humiliation and the exaltation of Jesus Christ, which I like to look at sort of like this, the humiliation and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. But we begin by understanding that Paul writes that Jesus is God. Very important that we understand that. Jesus is God. And then Paul walks us through the fact that there's a dilemma, that sin enters the world, and when sin enters the world, uh, we had a price to pay. Uh, for the wage of sin is death. And, and so the, the price of our sin is death. And, and so we have this price we have to pay, and yet we can't pay it. And, and so what does God do? Well, John three sixteen, the verse we're going to start and end with our time together this morning. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This, this seems to be this irreconcilable dilemma that God needs to be both just And so how is he going to redeem the people who he loves, us? Well, he becomes the justifier. And so Jesus humbles himself, humiliation, humbles himself by the incarnation, the birth of Christ. He he takes upon his divinity, humanity, born in modest means in in a stable he, he lives a life of obedience to the Father. And if you remember, we talked about that life in which he lived was an interesting thing because he's God. And so things that we sort of say, well, that's sort of life, he didn't have to do, but he did anyway. I mean, simple little things like stubbing his toe. That, that's humiliating for God. It's simply embarrassing for us. <laughs> the fact that he preaches love and he's scorned for it. And eventually, of course, it leads to the bottom of of his humiliation, which is the cross. That Jesus died for our sins. And what did that mean? Well, it meant two things. Number one, our guilt and our shame are gone. That when we came to Christ, he paid the price for our sins. And he, he states it so clearly on the cross when he says, it is finished. It's complete. The work has been done. But remember, we, we said that if, if he had just died for our sins, and then that was, that was it. Sort of one, we, we simply would be forgiven, but we couldn't truly be saved. Because it's the, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That gives us assurance of what? Eternal life and the new life we have in him. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you you know that you can be confident of your future. You can be confident that you have resurrection power within you. 
But what I want to share this morning is as important as the resurrection is, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ crucial for us, that the apostles understood and taught that it wasn't sufficient in the sense of we couldn't live for Jesus if that's all that happened. And so what are you talking about? We're going to answer the question, how can we as believers live once again as functional image bearers of Jesus Christ? See, before the fall, that was, that was possible. We could love like Jesus. We could, we could, we could care for, we could have the character that Jesus had, had imprinted on us. We could live with his purpose and his priorities. When the fall happened, we became extremely selfish, doing things our own way. We, we had this leaning away from the things of God. And so just because Jesus died for our sins and was resurrected for our salvation doesn't instantly make us people who can live for Jesus. And so what happens is quite extraordinary. We see the, the ascension. And then what we call the session, which simply means seating, we'll look at in a minute, of Jesus Christ. And, and really, in one way, the ascension of Jesus Christ can be considered the second phase of the resurrection. We don't talk about it much, but if we're going to talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we should talk about his ascension because it's crucial that we understand what happens when Jesus ascends. It's, it's, it's part of his exaltation. It's part of his once again sitting next to the Father and, 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 and sitting with all splendor and glory. The resurrected body, uh, really when you think about it, uh, had to ascend because he, he has this resurrected body. It's not made to live in, in a world that's still marred by sin. And that won't change until Jesus returns. God gave him this heavenly body suited for a heavenly existence. So the ascension means that Jesus was no longer with his followers. Acts 1, 6-11, here's the ascension account. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, now notice, he doesn't even answer their question. It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And now they're gazing into heaven. He went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Now, by the way, probably one of the most ridiculous questions ever in scripture. Jesus had just ascended, right? And he's angelic. So why are you looking into heaven? Of course, it's because he's, they're urging them that there's more to do. Don't keep gazing. This Jesus, whom was taken up from you into heaven, will come to you in the same way he has gone into heaven. So just before Jesus departs from them, Jesus told them to fix their attention on fulfilling the Great Commission. To be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. By the way, that's our common calling as his church. Not as crosswinds, as people of God. We're to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We're to know God, we're to make him known. No matter what your career is, no matter what you do during the week to make money, no matter what, if you're going to school, you're, that's the same exact calling for each and every one of us. Everything else really has to do with just what we do for a living. 
but not what we do for God. What we do for God should impact how we, what we do for a living. And we, that's a message for another time. The ascension also anticipated that Jesus would end the spirit-empowered era of the gospel being spreaded by his return. And in fact, the way Jesus left, visibly, bodily, and triumphantly, is the same way he's going to return. Again, a message for another time. But Jesus, as a resurrected Christ, gives us a firm hope that God will one day resurrect our bodies. Similarly, the ascension affirms that he will return to take us home. Did you catch that? As the resurrection assures us that we will have resurrected bodies. And by the way, praise God, I want a resurrected body. I want a new body. Uh, We're going to have resurrected bodies that the ascension shows us he's indeed going to come back and he's going to take us home. Now, many times, because we often focus on ourselves, even when we look at the gospel, isn't that the truth? We ask the question, what's there for me? So oftentimes, when we focus on the ascension, we, we talk a whole lot about the fact that Jesus left his disciples. We don't talk much about the fact that Jesus got to return to the Father. How important was that? Think about it. The resurrection confirmed that Christ's salvific work was completed and that his work in heaven would be, accept, would be accepted, allowing believers to know that his access to the Father is the basis for theirs. Did you catch that? That Jesus' access to the Father is the basis for ours. So how many times in, in our walk with Christ, okay, I'm going to personalize it, how many times in my walk with Christ... Have I thought I can't approach God because of something I've done, something I've said, something I've thought, as if my basis for approaching God is based on me? Come on, church. My basis for approaching God is on Jesus Christ. And so the enemy would like you, whenever you mess up, to say, that's it. You know, you got to sit in time out. You can't come to God for another three days you know, or whatever. Because you're thinking, wow, it's on my basis. It's, it's, it's on what I've done. It's, it's on, no, 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 you didn't do anything to earn salvation. You can't do anything to continue in salvation. Come on now. You say, does that mean I can do anything I want to do? No, that's inconsistent with being a believer. <laughs> Believers want to please God because they know the love of God and want to love him back. Amen, church? Amen. But we are made right with God through Jesus Christ. We continue to be able to approach God because of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus viewed the Spirit's ministry as an essential extension of his own. Actually, we could say this, that Jesus continued his ministry through the Holy Spirit. In fact, before his death and resurrection, he's speaking to his disciples. Listen to what he says to them about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16 through 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of the truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. God, the Holy Spirit, would abide in them and would be what? In them. Say that with me. In them. Abide with them and would be in them. What, what, what is the, the Spirit's goal? Well, Jesus, speaking of the Spirit's work, declares in John 16, 14, He says, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So I ask people, people ask me sometimes, they come to Christ and they come across the Holy Spirit in Scripture. what's, What's the deal with the Holy Spirit? What's the work of the Holy Spirit? Well, here it is. The Spirit's goal is to magnify and glorify Christ in the life of the believer. 
He's not to entertain us. Come on now. He's what? To, To magnify and glorify Christ in the life of a believer. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was a once and for all action that took place at Pentecost. He said, what, what do you mean by that? Well, as individual believers subsequently enter into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, they're indwelt by the Spirit individually. When we receive Christ, we receive the Spirit. And, and it indwells in us individually, but we enter a body of believers where we are indwelt corporately. We see that throughout Scripture. But it's the Spirit of God that leads His church, but we're His church. And, and so it's the work of God in us individually through the Spirit, and then corporately as a Spirit that fulfills what God has called in us. Stick with me. So the cross and Pentecost, the cross and Pentecost, which is the time where, where, where the apostles were filled with the Spirit of God, constitute the two redemptive transactions. On the cross, what did Christ do? He removed our guilt and shame. That's what happened on the cross. What happens on Pentecost is that the very presence of the Holy Spirit enables us to once again function as image bearers of Christ. It's the Spirit's work in us that allows for that to happen. Many a believer finds themselves frustrated. I know I have in my Christian life when I try to be like Jesus just by trying really hard. I'm just going to do this. Or or I focus on a certain temptation that I'm struggling with and I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. Have you ever noticed the more you focus on not doing a temptation, the more tempting it becomes? That's because we can't do it without God working in us and through us. And we realize as God came to send his son, God came to save us, God's also working in us to make us like Jesus. We partner with him in faith. We walk with him in obedience. We trust that even when we fall, that we can come to the Lord and continue that journey because it's not by our basis, but it's on the basis of Christ that we can approach him. But what exactly happened on Pentecost? Well, look at Acts 2, 1 through 6. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were together in one place as the apostles and other followers of Jesus. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Now again, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is not to entertain us, but this definitely would be an event to see, wouldn't it? I mean, the reality is this, that fitting a great redemptive event, the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost was accompanied by these miraculous signs, and and God's signs are not just to create some bombastic, um, awe-inspiring effect, they're they're to show us, they're to give us direction, and The day of Pentecost was marked by what? Violent wind, tongues of fire visibly resting on the heads of those who were speaking in tongues that they had not originally known, that they didn't really know. They're speaking in languages that they hadn't learned. So even at Pentecost, there's this dynamic that God is giving new direction for his church. 
And he does it through this image, this, this working of the Spirit as he comes in such a, a, a visible way. First of all, there's wind. And the word for wind means breath or spirit. And, and so we understand that at Pentecost, that, that this, this wind is a signature of the Spirit's presence. So Jesus had said the Spirit had come, and he wanted to make sure that his followers didn't misunderstand the Spirit had come. Can you imagine being there where the place is shaking and, and there's this violent wind and you're in a room, for goodness sakes. I mean, you know, if you were in here, you'd go, what is going on? Well, they had been prepared by Jesus that the Spirit was coming and he wanted to get their attention and say, the Spirit has come. So they couldn't leave and said, do you think the Spirit came? <laughs> no, the Spirit came. And, and as if the wind wasn't enough, there were, there were the Spirit descending visibly. You may recall in the account of, of Christ's baptism that the Spirit descends on Jesus in the form of a, of a dove. Showing Jesus's, it's a symbol of peace and showing Jesus' peaceful ministry of sharing the message of the gospel. Well, at Pentecost, the Spirit descends on Christ's church as fire, which is a symbol of God's presence. All throughout Scripture, fire is a symbol of God's presence. And so it, it was a clear indicator that Wherever we go as followers of Christ, that his presence is with us. And as we as redeemed humanity proclaim to others the, the ministry of Christ, that he died for their sins, resurrected for their salvation, that, we say, that we're able to bring that message to save a lost humanity. Now it's important to note, and I just want to be not really careful here, but I want to be clear. It's important to note that, Jesus, that Peter's first message he preaches right after being filled with the Spirit is not about the Holy Spirit. It's about Jesus. In fact, listen to just a little excerpt from his message, Acts 2.38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you come to Christ, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said, Craig, what are you getting at? Now for the first time since Adam sinned, God could be restored in human beings. Jesus died for our sins, resurrected for our salvation. But what happens at the ascension is, is, is quite important for us to understand because if we're going to live for Jesus, we need to understand it's because of Jesus. It's because of his spirit that's within us. And so I'm going to use my great gift as an artist what are you laughing at? That's me. My great gift of an artist is sort of show this. So you have Jesus, looks just like him, I'm sure. You have Jesus, someone said, give him hair. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. That's just getting mean. That, that's him ascending. That's this, okay. And this is us. You sort of have hair. See? Okay. That's us. What are we now? We're filled with the Spirit of God. Jesus said, if I didn't go, the Spirit wouldn't come. That doesn't mean that the Spirit wasn't already on the earth, though. It just meant that the Spirit hadn't indwelt people the way it had before the fall. And when the Spirit did, it was a very unique thing. But now every follower of Christ has the very power of God residing in us. The very spirit of God is in us. Think about that for a minute. That should be a game changer in the way we live for Jesus. So Jesus entered heaven, sent his spirit. 
Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father. That's what session means. It means he's seated. A seated Christ might communicate an, an act of Christ. You know, this, this idea of this uh, maybe misleading, this, this sedentary posture, right? We don't think of someone being actively seated, seated you know, but, but that's not what we should understand. Seated at the right hand of God is a metaphor. His body's not like riveted to a heavenly throne. He sat down because he had secured salvation. The full breath of salvation, we're going to look at in just a minute. Hebrews 1.3 reads this way. Christ is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, dying for our sins, resurrected for our salvation, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is God. He humbles himself all the way to the point of the cross. And then he's exalted already to the the place where the scripture says, the name above all names, that the name of Jesus, when everything is said and done, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Humiliated, exalted. And so what is Jesus doing now? Well, Christ intercedes for us continually before the Father. We have direct access to God through Jesus, who is God, right? We have direct access to God. Think about it. Hebrews 7.25, Consequently, he's able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. It is so important, church, we pray for one another. It's a special privilege to do that. Had a friend this past week, he, he reached out to me, he was in a hospital, had COVID, he had some lung issues, and, and he said, hey, would you just pray for me? And I said, absolutely. It was pretty cool, the next day I was heading off to the gym, and I looked over, and there he was in the van heading home. I thought that was one of the coolest things in the world. His daughter was driving him, I didn't think that was all that cool. But I, 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 thought, I thought him going home was cool. I thought, how in the world is she able to be old enough to drive? And, and, and that's when you know you're getting older. And, and, and I, I was a celebrity, so I honked the horn, and all of a sudden he put the window in, and he went, woo! You know, I mean, it was praying for one another. Is that not great? Yes. One of the big pet pieces in the church is when you receive a prayer request, but not the answer to the prayer. We need to share both. It's just exciting to see how, how God works. But let me share this with you. As great as it is that we pray for one another, how mind-blowing is it that God actually intercedes for us? That Jesus intercedes for us. In fact, the Spirit intercedes for us. There's, the Scripture tells us that when you don't know how to pray, the Spirit intercedes for us. He's like, I know what your heart is. I, I, I'm, as you're, have you ever been in a prayer time? You just didn't know what to say. Your sort of tears are flowing. You're like... Words just can't come out. And you go, well, I guess God can't hear me. No, 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 no. The Spirit knows what you need. Church, that's one of the greatest blessings. Come on now. I know it's first service, it's early, but come on. If that doesn't get you on fire, I don't know what will. Let me speak about this for a minute. The scripture is so clear. Understand it this way, you know, because people ask the question, well, who intercedes? Because I said that Jesus intercedes for us, but I said the Spirit intercedes for us. So who intercedes for us? Is it the Son or the Spirit? And here's the answer. Yes. (laughs) It's always the Spirit's work. Catch this. If you catch, catch this. 
It's always the Spirit's work to magnify and apply the work of the Son. Likewise, the Son's ministry is to magnify and apply the work of the Father. The Spirit intercedes through the Son to the Father. Now, I know what you're thinking. (laughs) Don't overthink it, okay? Christ and his Spirit intercede for us. Let me me speak a bit about this. Christ is in us through the Spirit. If you're in Christ, defines the identity and source of every spiritual blessing for Christians. We see that over and over again in Scripture. You are in Jesus. Jesus is the basis we approach the Father. He's the reason we can have salvation. He's the reason we can have spirit power within us. He's our hope. If Christ in us speaks of who we are in Jesus now, it's our position of who we are in Jesus. Then Christ in us describes the provision God enables Christians to be able to live the life that God's called us to live. You say, Craig, what are you talking about? We've been made righteous in Jesus. That's our position. But who in here would claim to be 100% righteous in the way you live your life? No takers? It's the Spirit that's helping us become who we already are in Jesus. Right? Anyone ever been married? Married people in here? You know what I'm saying? Uh, You made a commitment. And that commitment, when you think about it, your vow you made is a big vow. And you spend the rest of your life trying to live up to it. And so we have this position of who we are in Jesus. We spend the rest of our life not trying to live up to it, but through the love of Jesus, desiring to want to live up to it, and by his spirit becoming more and more like Jesus. In his love, his character, his purpose, his priorities... Paul wrote it this way, Colossians 1, second part of verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now glory, sometimes in scripture, means heaven. But it's not talking about the hope of glory when it speaks of heaven. It's talking about the hope of glory being able to be functioning identity, spirit-filled, Christ-identity-bearing people of God. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I want to go back. Not you working really hard on your own, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Christian life is about his life, his attributes, his glory. One of my aspiring verses, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What's, what's, What's Paul writing about there? He's saying the old I who lived in sin under the law is dead. We we, we died with Christ, that old self, right? The new I, who I am in Christ, lives in him. And so the flesh, which refers to all the full, whole range of, of earthly life, has to be brought under Christ's authority in order for it to work the way that God intended it to. And that's our job. By faith, the trust that if we say, Lord, here's my life, that he'll transform us into something more. That's why I often say, come to Christ as you are, but don't expect to stay there. A.W. Tozer said it this way. He says, inconsistent for a person to claim to have come to Christ and still remain the same person they were before they did. You follow me? And so the scripture speaks about Christ in you whenever it speaks about the work of the Spirit in the believer. 
And so I, I just want to sort of illustrate it this way. Because the scripture talks about Christ is in us, and yet we're in Christ. And that can be a little confusing when you really think about it. But think about it this way. Here's me. See, I, I have amazing props. That's why I use them so often not. But, you know, here, here's, here's me, and here's Christ. The scripture tells us that Christ is in us. And when it speaks of Christ in us, it's talking about the power of Christ to become more and more like him, fully functioning uh, uh, image bearers of God. But it says also that not only is Christ in us, we're in Christ. See how big Christ's envelope is? We're, we're in Christ. Now, by the way, is there, greater, is there any greater image of intimacy? Christ is in us and we're in him. When the scripture is talking about being in Christ, it's talking about mostly our position in Christ, who we are because of what he's done. When it talks about Christ in us, it talks about the very work of the Spirit through us, the Spirit of Christ, allowing us to become the people that God's created us to be. So Christ is in us, power. We're in Christ's position. Think about it. That's what God has done through us, through his son, Jesus Christ. What the believer has become legally and positionally in Christ is the basis for what Christ, through the Spirit, becomes actually and practically in us right now. And that's a journey. That's a journey. Yeah, think of it this way. You come to Christ, and there's a theological word, justified. You come to Christ, and the work he's done died on the cross, resurrected for our salvation, you are made right with God. That's been done. It's finished. It's complete. Amen? Amen. But salvation continues. You're now being sanctified. Sanctification. What's that mean? You're becoming more and more like Jesus. His love, his character, his purpose, his priorities. I don't know about you, but I'm a work in progress. I haven't fully obtained that yet. There's moments where I do pretty well. And there's moments where people cut me off on the road and I realize I have a lot of growth still in me. Come on now. You've heard me say it before, I'll say it till the day I die. I thank God I'm not what I used to be. I know, I know I'm not what I need to be. But he continues to do that work in me and for that I'm very thankful. Come on now. Now, what's going to happen when Jesus returns? We, we say we'll be glorified. Work complete. Heavenly body, totally restored. No, no, no more temptation, no more tears. No, that's what we're looking and aiming for. I saw a shirt the other day. I thought it was pretty, pretty cool. It said, it said uh, I'm just a visitor trying to take as many with me as I can. I thought that, there's, that's, that's something that we should remind ourselves. So how is this all possible? One word, faith. Faith. And this may blow your mind. You say, well, God wants us to love each other. He does. But the basis of us being able to do that is faith. Faith is the only requirement God has ever placed upon a human being. Faith. Trust in him. Trust him for your salvation. Trust him for your growth. Trust him for your ability to, uh, to approach him. Faith. John 3, 16, we began with this verse. I said we would end with it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes, 
Whoever trusts, whoever has faith in him, will not perish but have eternal life. What act allows us to be a functioning image bearer of God? It's the ascension. It's the session. It's that Christ sent his spirit to indwell his church. And even now he intercedes on our behalf. You're not alone. If you're a believer this morning, Christ is in you and you're in Christ. And if you've yet to receive Christ to experience this amazing blessing, there is no better time than the present. So as we go to the Lord in prayer, I don't know how the spirit of God has spoken to you, but he's working this morning. However you're led to respond, won't you respond to him? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for (laughs) words can't even begin to express how much you've done for us. That you humbled yourself, Jesus, your God, and you looked upon your cherished people who are heading to eternal death and needing to be just true to your word, true to your character. You had to deal with sin the way that sin had to be dealt with. And how, would, how are you going to redeem those who couldn't redeem themselves? When well, you came, you humbled yourself. The incarnation, you, you took div- humanity upon your divinity. You, you were born in such modest means in a, in a stable. You lived this life of obedience where all you did was preach love and and acceptance in the kingdom and people hated you for it to the point to where they beated you and crucified you. And, And yet that was your plan, that you would die for our sins on the cross. And when you did that, you took away our guilt, you took away our shame. And and we know it was complete because you even said on the cross, it is finished. The work is done. And yet you're not a dead savior, you're a living savior. Three days later, you're alive resurrected and it's through the resurrection that that we we come to celebrate you because it's through the resurrection that we know that we have eternity with you and that resurrection power resides in us we have eternal life and we have new life in you a new position with god in you but as you ascended uh, You sent your spirit to indwell us. And so we thank you for the ascension. We thank you for being filled with the spirit because that's what enables us to to be functioning image bearers of Christ. Again, not on a basis of of, of who we were before we came to you, but a basis of who we are as we came to you. It's, It's on the basis of being yours we can approach you. We can approach God. When you said you'd never leave us or forsake us, there's nothing that proves that anymore than we're in you and you're in us. So God, I pray if there's anyone here this morning, maybe on the Canandaigua campus or part of our online community who's who's listening to this message, who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, why not right now? We've been created to be in a relationship with you. We know that this world can be rough. In fact, you said in this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have difficult times. But here's the key. Take heart, he said. You said, for you have overcome the world. You're the overcomer. We have victory in you. doesn't mean that our circumstances aren't difficult. It just means there's always victory in you. 
So, Father God, as anyone yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, why not right now? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins, being resurrected for my salvation, for giving me new life in you and the ability to live a new life in you and the sure hope that when you return, you're going to take me to be with paradise for you, with you forever. God, we celebrate that this morning. We celebrate what you've done in justifying us before God. We, we thank you for what you're doing as we're being sanctified by your spirit, becoming more and more like you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for what you're yet to do when you come back and take us home and we're glorified in our new heavenly bodies. That's why we come weekly to put your glory on display because there is so much to celebrate. We give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.